Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Almost 30 Podcast. Hi, everybody. It's Lindsay and Krista. We're so glad you're here. You don't have to be 30. What else? What else? (laughs) You can be yourself. Just let it all hang out. Your animals are welcome. My cat has been very present for recording right now, so she might even show up on screen. But we're really (laughs) grateful you're here. We know that there's a lot of podcasts and, you know, audio choices for you. And we're grateful that you chose Almost 30. We've been around for about six years. We have 500 episodes out. We have a membership. We have courses and content. And we're here to support you in your evolution. Yeah, it's been it's been our greatest joy to support you. And our guest today, I feel like we've gotten probably the most messages, one of the highest downloads on his previous episode. So it's just really exciting to bring him back for a whole other conversation at a whole other time. Guess guess who? (laughs) (laughs) Dr. Zach Bush. Super excited to have Dr. Zach on. And I was saying before we were recording this that the first time we talked to Zach was kind of nearing the end of 2020. Yes. And so it was just at such a potent time. Actually, our episode with Zach got taken off of YouTube. Oh, yes. I forgot about that. Mm -hmm. That was a funny day. Yeah, that was the same day. So it got taken off of YouTube. And then they also gave us a strike warning for the interview that we did with the sex worker. Yes, with Alice Little. Mm -hmm. Yes. We did an interview years ago with a legal sex worker just to kind of hear her story and sort of just break any, you know, narratives or ideas we had around it. It was incredibly enlightening. And we got a strike on both of those that day. Yeah. That was so, and it was interesting because the Alice Little episode, which they now put back on, was very old. So it was almost like the they wanted to warn us. Yes. Because once you get three strikes on YouTube, as a creator, your channel gets deleted. So at that point, we had, you know, no strikes. Then we had the Zach Bush strike. And then we had an additional strike that they somehow found months and months later. So we almost were kicked off of YouTube. And you with, would never think that looking at our channel. <laughs> like our channel is so like... I kind of like it though. Kind of, it's kind of edgy. It kind of, it tells me all I need to know. It tells me all I need y'all to know. know. YouTube is just kind of wild with taking people wild. down. Wild. Well, I had to write in. I mean, the Zach thing I wrote in, I'm like, we did not talk about. We didn't say the V. We didn't say the V. We didn't say, I don't even know if we said COVID. I don't, I don't We were so. saying things that, that had facts to them. Yes. Maybe around pharmaceuticals, maybe around the pharmaceutical industry, but nothing, it was it was basically like, get in nature for your immune system. Yeah. And YouTube People was like, like oh! yes, yes. We didn't even say like uh, natural immunity. And th- they were like- But now that's recognized today, 2022, 100%. as being stronger than the vaccine. So anyway. 100 anyways. <laughs> so we're at a different time. And so- but it was interesting because when I wrote about the Alice Little, you know, strike, they were totally, they were like, yeah, sure, we can keep this. And I'm like, this is very interesting. You know, first of all, the reasoning for taking this one down, I'm not sure what it was. It was a completely informative interview. And all this, of all the stuff on YouTube, but of course, the Zach, they didn't even consider. Wow. Well, he's, I think he is on a list somewhere. Yeah, the devil's list. For no reason. Literally, as like a Christ consciousness being. Yeah. He's on the devil's list. I know. It's like, I was like, if this is what they're going against, I'm I'm sticking with him. Yeah, truly. (laughs) But it's truly it's it's interesting, you know, how the narrative has shifted since that time. And, you know, during our first conversation, it felt so much more loaded and it felt so much more charged because the point in the pandemic that we were 
And now it feels like so much has lifted, but it also feels a little bit, I'm like, hey, world, can we do like a post-mortem? A hundred percent. Can we touch base on on what just happened? It feels like I, well, okay, this is extreme, but it does feel like there was at a high level, so much happening, so many like, Little, like when I say little, I just mean kind of consecutive, not as intense, little traumas every day. Yes. Of wearing masks, of yes. being like a little bit nervous to be in tight, like just all these yes. kind of nuanced things that would cause us stress for different reasons. And now they're like, okay. Yes. Back to normal. And yes. we're like, it, it really feels like, wait, can we talk? Can we yes. talk? <laughs> And this is the thing. We want you all to do whatever feels good for you and best for you and whatever is in the most alignment for your free will choice. We have our opinions, of course. You know, we we share, not really. We don't, you know, this isn't our place where we talk about things like this, but it does feel like I think everyone would agree that there should be like a overview or discussion about what we've all been through, the effects of what we've been through. How can we repair some of this? You know, children have in really important developmental stages, lost access to an important part of development, which is seeing part of the face, which Mm -hmm. is going out and being social, which is going outside, which is having contact with people. And we as humans have lost a lot of that too. So how can we not just move on to the next thing or the next topic or the next conversation, but really sit with all of the pain that we've been through and all the challenges and all the all the different things. I mean, it wasn't just the pandemic. You know, yes. it was so many different things happening culturally, some of them necessary, some of them not. Well, all of them were very necessary for our ascension, actually. But it's like to just move on, I feel very weird. I'm like, why aren't we talking about this? I completely agree. But, you know, I think that says so much about it's kind of like a macro over micro moment yeah. where it's like people move on. After something really, really hard, people want to just get me back to my normal life. Get, get me, me back, back to, to David Buster's. Get me back to fucking <laughs> drinking Coronas from a bucket on a ship. Get me back to Panama. Yeah, literally. Get me back to my cruise. <laughs> but you know what I yeah, mean? Get it's me that. back to Disneyland. It's like, okay, like, why do you, like, why do you care? It's, it's done now. Uh, I understand. I, I want it, to, I, I as well want it to be done. I completely agree. But I, I think what I'm, what I'm a little like mm, about is, is there going to be a discussion around? So this is what we've found is true. Yes. And this is what we said two years ago. And that's actually not true or we've proven it wrong because that's what science is. This yes. is like, you know, it's, um, it's the evolution of information. Yes. So I think that's the missing piece. Yes. The ownership of yes. maybe things that weren't completely True, but or tested, you know, like things like that. I, I, anyway, a hundred percent. Yeah. So we highly suggest listening to the first episode we did with Dr. Bush. You can search Zach Bush, almost 30 and find that one. And we actually cut part of that episode and we released it at the end of 2021 as like a beautiful end of year moment. Because in the first episode, if you remember, if you listened, Zach dropped into this really beautiful Christ consciousness channeling, mm-hmm. pretty much. You know, these are ours, our words, not his. I doubt he would even say that, but it was this powerful, you know, 15-minute sermon, basically, yeah. that brought Lindsay and I to our 
in tears. We were mm-hmm. in tears. So that's also available for you to listen when you search Zach Bush Almost 30. But we're really grateful to be in his orbit. You know, he is a triple board certified doctor. He owns a company called Ion. He has a nonprofit and he's just doing a lot of work on the microbiome and has been in the medical space for a really long time. And what we really appreciate appreciate about Dr. Bush is his mindfulness about nature and the environment and indigenous peoples and culture in general. I find that, of course, the holistic approach is something that's really worked for me. And holistic can kind of mean different for everyone, but I really appreciate his nature and self-generative healing process first over some of you know, the other methods that I sometimes see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think there's there's a way to to balance both. And if we're mm-hmm. completely disconnected from the earth and nature and truly like where we came from, yes, then there is going to be a disconnect in our health and there's going to be just kind of these holes. And so, you know, not to, I, I don't think it is like to shit on the yes. pharmaceutical industry. It's more so like, we've lost connection yes. with It earth. is. It's like, how can we focus on connection with nature, earth, each other, our microbiome first and sort of incorporate all of the things mm-hmm. that we need to medically, but in it, like in addition to this. Yes, exactly. And I was so humbled because my dad has Parkinson's. He's been, you know, he's had Parkinson's for the past couple of years. And, you know, you like, I go into this thing. I'm like, oh, you should take this. And I'm doing all these research. So I bring him all of these different supplements and last year, at the end of last year, he was in a really, really bad place. Last year was really, really, really bad. And it was a really hard to see. It was, it's just unlike any other. So it's given me a lot of um, compassion for people who are grieving. But he stopped taking all of my supplements and got so much better. <laughs> what the hell? His doctor well, was honestly, like, hey, you should not be taking all... They were counteracting with his freaking medicine. I'm sure. And it's also God's like a so lot... funny. For, God's it, like, you think you know, I know, bitch, but you don't know. It can be a lot for the liver too. Of course. Even though it's like herbal supplements and yes. whatever, but it's like, it's it can be a lot. I notice that sometimes if I'm taking a lot of shit, yeah. my body's like, what are you doing? Yeah, and we actually talk about supplements in mm-hmm. this episode too with Dr. Bush. Like what supplements you need if you do need supplements. That was actually the beginning conversation was about supplements. So I felt like that was so funny. God's like, hmm, you think you know, but <laughs> it's also just like what's best for me isn't best for everyone. I Obviously, I don't have Parkinson's at this moment, but it's like, mm-hmm. how do we sometimes think we know and yeah. sometimes we don't? I know, it's true. And just don't put... Sean says, don't push product on me. Dude, I'm like, I was <laughs> all like, the okay. product. So then when I turn around and I don't push product, I'll see, you know, they yes. always try it and they like, yes. Know. Justin's like, okay. been like, he has, I think he has bags under his eyes. He's like, what do I have to do? Mm-hmm. I'm like, do you really want to commit to this? Do you want to ice roll every yes, morning? That's what I've been saying. And he'll go like this. <laughs> I'm like, no, you have to like get in there and ice roll. You have to ice roll your whole face. You have to worry about your carbs. <laughs> like it's a whole process. Like you can't just have no bags easily. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. Well, we have another episode with Dr. Zach Bush. So just search. Two episodes. Yeah. The the other one was like a little mini, the mini sermon Mm -hmm. from the end of the year. So if you just type in Dr. Zach Bush, Almost 30, you will find them. Thank you for subscribing to Almost 30 so that all of our episodes just land right on your phone and send it to a friend. Any episode that really resonates, it means so, so much to us. And if you're called to write a review, that just is 
the best. Yeah, it means the world. We've seen so many new reviews on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. So thank you for doing something kind to just support the podcast. That's free. It means the world. Make sure you're subscribed on Spotify as well. I know so many of you are subscribed already on Apple Podcasts, but get you on Spotify. It seems like it's the place to be. You can follow Dr. Bush on Instagram at Zach Bush MD. Thank you so much. We'll see you on the other side. Bye. Before we get into this episode, I want to make sure you know about open enrollment for a program I am doing that has changed my life, the Life Edit program. It is basically what it says. We are editing your entire life. It's about taking small, actionable steps today. So taking those steps right here and now to help you bridge the gap between where you are and where you want to be. I always felt like in the spirituality and wellness space that often the importance of taking small steps every single day in various areas of our lives gets overlooked as it makes ripples and creates huge change. There's a huge energetic component to taking these small steps in your life. And then there is the huge component of the action, getting that momentum going. We're going to be digging into topics like relationships, space, finances, wellness, mental health, digital health. This has changed the game for me. It has really, really helped me to create space mentally, physically, emotionally, spatially, relationally, so that I can actually have room for the best version of me to come into existence. So I can actually take an honest look at all aspects of my life and see where the gaps lie between where I want to be and where I am now, and then make that plan, baby, make that plan to change your life. So this is going to be such an incredible program I can't wait to do with you. You can go to lifeeditbykrista.com. It's L-I-F-E-E-D-I-T-B-Y-K-R-I-S-T-A, lifeeditbykrista.com. It is open for enrollment for a few days longer. Make sure you join us on the Life Edit program to change your life today. Okay. So we were just talking a little bit about supplements. I was asking about the new um, Ion Skin Support Supplement. And I was actually asking Dr. Bush about collagen because I've actually been a fan for a long time. But what did you say about taking collagen externally? (laughs) Yeah. So the body actually has a complex system of creating nutrient availability to the different systems within our body. And that begins really at the microbiome. And so we now know that about 90, 95% of the work done in the human body is done by a bacteria rather than a human cell. And so as you consume a nutrient, whether it be a, a vitamin or a you know, protein or a you know, collagen being an example of uh, that kind of input, it's going to be broken down very actively by the microbiome and then ultimately by human enzymes as well as it goes through the nutrient you know, processing in the gut. And so the collagen that you consume in your body is not really going to end up as collagen in a disc in your back or in your skin or whatnot. Uh, it will be broken down into you know, protein building blocks that can be utilized if needed by different parts of the body. But the body won't actually go and use those building blocks unless there's a symphony of you know, regenerative singling going on around that system. So if you're trying to regenerate collagen in the skin, that takes a complex communication between skin cells, the fibroblasts within the, the skin, which are kind of your immune system in some ways within the skin. They also are the synthesis machine for collagen and things like that. And so without that bigger symphony of orchestration of protein synthesis and collaboration for a regenerative body, what we put in our mouth really doesn't become our body. And that's been a huge misperception in the supplement industry overall. And 
unfortunately, we are doing a lot of harm with supplements that you know, is going unrecognized, and we are spending hundreds of billions of dollars now globally on supplements without much science as to how they're working or if they're safe or whatnot. One of the largest studies that got done was the Women's Health Initiative. It was 105,000 women that were mostly nurses and other healthcare practitioners. And they actually showed an increase in mortality for taking USP multivitamins. And so, you know, something that had been adopted in the 1960s and thought as gospel is like, this is how you get your nutrients. To find out that it was actually increasing mortality was dumbfounding. And, you know, back in when that was published in 2011, I was on a bunch of, you know, media stuff around that and answered a lot of questions around that, but nothing changed, you know, and we yeah. still have hundreds of millions of dollars of USP vitamins being sold every month in this country. And so it's a, it's a very hard thing to change the public perception of where does health and building, you know, a body that can build come from. And ultimately it comes down to communication of a, you know, this incredible symphony within you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about changing the public perception, but for supplements. So, because I think this is something that so much of the community that we support takes a lot of supplements. I'm plant-based. I've been plant-based for like 15 years. So I thought I kind of had to. It was kind of indoctrinated in me to have to take supplements because I wasn't getting like the full spectrum through animal protein. What would you say for people to look out for in supplements? You know, is there any supplements that you do suggest or what is like, I guess I just want to dig on, dig into it a little bit deeper. Yeah, the supplements that I think are most harmful are the ones that are very active on receptors, like uh, vitamin B being a good example. Your whole B complex is hyperactive on cell surfaces, and it will begin to downregulate the receptors there if you keep overwhelming those receptors with high doses of an exogenous vitamin that the body wasn't calling for, right? And so if you're taking vitamin B every day, B12 or whatever it is, because you've been told it doesn't come from a vegetarian diet, we'll talk about the fallacy of that anyways in a second, but the reality is you start to downregulate your whole response system to it. The only you know thing that we can call a vitamin that I'm a relatively big proponent of still is vitamin D. So obviously sun is the best source for this. And you know as we've been working a lot in our lab on skin, we've come to recognize that the sun actually has a beneficial effect on skin if there's enough microbiome communication. And this whole, you know, avoid sun thing has become a real dilemma in our, you know, kind of status quo of how we think about anti-aging and all of these things. In fact, the sun has an incredibly important effect on our immune system and the like, which came relevant this year, as we said, you know, everybody should go inside and social distance. And we closed beaches, we closed, you know, all these outdoor spaces and people's vitamin D dropped. And that's, of course, going to put us in uh, an adversarial you know, relationship to our environment around us as we lose that vitamin D modulation of our immune system. In the same way, we see sun upregulating not just vitamin D production, but also the receptors for vitamin D. And so that's much different than taking exogenous vitamin D that hasn't, if anything, a downregulation of your receptors. Mm-hmm. The benefit to vitamin D or the safety of vitamin D over something like a B complex is the fact that you're taking a non-active form of the vitamin. When you take vitamin D, it's typically needs to be hydroxylated multiple times, first through kidney and then through liver. And once those hydroxyl groups get on there, then it turns into an active you know, vitamin D that can be utilized by the body as a steroid hormone. It's not actually a vitamin, it's actually a steroid mm-hmm. hormone, but it became misnomer before we realized that as a vitamin. Isn't it sheep's wool normally? The source of it? Yeah. Yeah, I think that that's probably the majority on the market still, although synthetic is you know, definitely out there now. And so you've got you know, this opportunity to you know, downregulate with many of your vitamins you're taking. And so for that, 
if you've got a you know receptor active vitamin, you know, and the vast majority are, it's going to be a good idea to come on and off of them instead of taking them every day, because you want your receptors to come back on. You know, if you've been overwhelming your body with vitamin B complex, you should back off for three or four days out of the week. You know, if you're going to surge and take them for a couple of days, back back off of that, so that your body can reequilibrate to what's actually hearing. And so we've had both this reductionist and kind of monoculture attitude towards nutrition for a long time that, oh, you just need these B-complex vitamins, you'll be okay. You need you know these amino acids for building blocks to protein and you're okay. It's, it's not like that anymore. We, you know, This revolution that we're in science right now is realizing that the human cell is not at the center of human health, which is really disruptive. The center of the human health experience is the ecosystem within us, the microbiome within us and around us. And that's what's creating the vitality within us. And every time we go on an antibiotic, our vitality drops. Every time we you know, soap off in a shower, our vitality drops. We, we have to be cautious of this constant you know, desiccation and destruction of the micro ecosystems on our bodies and around us and really be conscientious of building that collaborative approach to health within us and around us as we start to think about our nutrition and our lifestyles differently and start to imagine like, who are these you know, microbes and where do I find them and how do I develop a lifestyle that gets me engaged in that space all the time. With showers, what if people aren't to use soap, what would you suggest people use? Yeah, there's uh, a, you can lather with uh, coconut oil. Mm-hmm. It actually works quite well. And so uh, you can, it's both hydrating and uh, removes residues and all of that. And mm-hmm. so you can work that into a lather. Uh, we've got, you know, the approach to the after, you know, shower with our skin product that we just developed to recover that microbiome quickly because you're really looking to get that communication rebuilt at the skin as soon as you're coming out of, you know, chlorine or whatever it is. Chlorine's quite I potent know. antibiotic. And so coming out of chlorine, you want to get that microbiome supported quickly again, and you want to let the skin breathe. So reducing the amount of mm-hmm. cosmetics we use, reducing the amount of lotions and other things that would seal our skin you know, to the outside mm-hmm. world is going to be important for our anti-aging efforts. What about herbs and like Chinese, like Chinese herbs or like Ayurvedic herbs mm-hmm. and stuff that a lot of people take in mushrooms? What do you think about those? I'm a huge fan of any whole food mm-hmm. approach, right? So you're no longer doing... The reductionist, like here's a vitamin A compound. Here's a food that has complex amino acids, minerals, pretty much the whole periodic chart and represented, you know, somewhere in there. Especially in the trace, you know, micro minerals that you find in Chinese medicines, and your example, mushrooms being another good example. There's these tiny little trace ormus molecules that are kind of on the platinum level of the periodic table, and these little tiny minerals have an incredible capacity to exchange light energy with our water within our cells. And so it's a beautiful way in which the plant world has learned to, to create vitality within the, the consumer of those plants. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just so interesting how it's like as above, so below, you know, with the microbiome and within our body. And that's something I've realized too, that you can't put, you can't do one thing without it impacting another thing within your body and within your life even, and within what you're eating and it's been scary, but also really beautiful to realize that, that our body is so much more intelligent than what we think. And I think there was, what I grew up with was that reductionist approach where it was like, if you want you know, muscle, have more protein. If you want this, do that. And you just didn't really understand how everything works together. Has that been part of your process in your journey was understanding, I guess, when you were first in the medical, when you were first in 
medicine in your career and then sort of coming to terms with like, oh my gosh, everything is working very intricately together and our body is so much more simple and complex than maybe what we originally perceived it to be. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a growing realization that biology is a, it's an ancient art mm-hmm. <laughs> and we have come to believe in this last century that we could control all that biology. So we did that in our farming practices through chemical agriculture, you know, the simple shift to chemical nutrients for our soil systems in the 1950s, all the way to, you know, our high dependence on herbicides and pesticides to kill everything, you know, in that food system and soil systems. And so we've got sterile planet now, 97% of our soils on earth depleted or severely depleted. And we've done the same thing in our bodies over that time as we became addicted to the belief that the chemical industry would have our solutions. So we allowed the profit-like trust in the pharmaceutical industry over these last few decades that allowed them to suggest to us that they could dictate you know, our health or our vitality or our survival or our disease course or whatever it is. And when we outsourced our our own body's biology, we lost a lot of empowerment and we are on a high-speed version of that now as we look at the kind of blurring of lines between military medical state and you know this bizarre kind of mix of macroeconomics and you know health and disease as we see it collapsing in this COVID period. So we, we are in a period where we are starting to realize or express, I think, mm-hmm. uh, loss of identity. Mm-hmm. We have outsourced our identity at the cellular level to powers that we allowed to occur and then we empowered through our own behavior. And so we created Monsanto, we created Bayer, we created Pharmaca, you know, all, all of this, you know, kind of dependence on infrastructure and, you know, sending stuff to and fro and, you know, the kind of Amazon type mm-hmm. belief, like we got to order everything. We got to order all of our vitamins. We got to order all of our medications. We got to order our, you know, our books. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we have to order what we're going to think today. You know, we're in this extreme version of consumerism. And I'm just a little worried that too few people are sitting in the forest right now, just having an original thought. Mm-hmm. You know? And that's trickling down into our health and our vitality when we had this reductionist outsourced view of who we are and where our health comes from, we left ourselves very vulnerable to a situation in which our freedoms would be taken from us at almost every level. And we have certainly given up freedom of education. We've given up freedom of curiosity when we allowed Google to start to you know, monetize our curiosity. Every time you Google something, some third party is being enriched off your curiosity. And so it's an interesting phenomenon that we've allowed this to happen literally on every level for the pursuit of comfort and ease. And that's that was the driver. <laughs> it's easy to order off of Amazon. It's easy to order your multivitamins and eat crap food because it tickles all of your neurotransmitters like a drug will. And and so we have created this world that we're in. And that's both a little horrific. It just points to an enormous lack of self-love, uh, enormous lack of self-insight as to how powerful we are, how beautiful we are, how sacred we are, that we would allow any you know, cosmetic company or anything like that to tell us that we need to put chemicals on our body to improve our looks is astounding. So it's just, there's time for us now, I think, to A, acknowledge, wow, that was, that was an intense you know, toddlerhood of human consciousness. How are we going to shift? What are, what are we going to shift to? And the answer is because we have the power to create the world we are, we have the power to change it. 
And so we have to, at that cellular level, start to acknowledge the beauty within us and acknowledge that there's something greater that we could express as a humanity than this extreme state of consumerism. Mm-hmm. Yes. I want to talk about the the rebirth too, but something that I was thinking about when you were speaking was Dr. Jordan Peterson talks a lot about how when we shifted away from religion within culture, that we sort of lost a sense of a purpose or a higher power. And I'm not someone that's religious. I grew up religious, but didn't find that it brought me closer to a higher power than my own spiritual practice. But I do believe that within culture and society, it does feel like because we have a loss where we don't have a connection to source or to our own divinity, that we have more consumerism. We have this disconnection from nature and we find ourselves so disconnected from the beauty that exists all over the world or from our own original thought. Do you perceive that? to be happening too, where people have lost this connection to source and now are sort of looking for it in things and in anything that's outside themselves. Yeah, I think it's, if we have an epidemic, it's that. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> if we have an epidemic, it's this sense of loss of self-awareness, self-identity, how to express ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know? And we've been boiled down to such narrow channels of scarcity, ultimately, as a belief system. And that sense of scarcity drives almost this desperate nature that certainly expresses consumerism, but also a deep insecurity about who we are and are we safe, are we loved. These things are deep within every patient I see in my clinic. You know, like I don't see cancer that isn't steeped in the emotions of fear, guilt, inadequacy, you know, separation, anxiety, you know. At the base of these cancers is is the fear of loss, is the fear of scarcity. And so to begin healing a cancer patient, you know, you're it's all about creating a, a clear enough mirror for them to look in to see how spectacular they are and how precious life is. And to begin the journey of forgiveness to your own soul for having put so many other things in front of it. And we have to start to really pay credence. Mm-hmm. to the vitality and, and sacredness of each of us and the, most of all the one within you. Mm-hmm. You have a soul that is ancient. You have a soul that is here to express something at the tipping point of human history where we can calculate at the end of our own species within the next hundred years with the current progress and yet look how little is changing mm-hmm. you know, every year. And so you have people really pounding on the drum of extinction story for 30 years now. And yet we've seen only an acceleration of consumerism, a, a further acceleration of monopoly, uh, of centralization of governments, centralization of monetary systems. So we continue to speed ahead in the wrong direction, knowing you know, ultimately what's happening, knowing that this is our demise. So that's the you know, grim reality perhaps, but a journey is always on purpose. And so this is simply the journey we need. We need the polarization of this time for us to maybe create enough energy for clarity. You know, the extreme polarity certainly creates intensity of that's not always constructive right now. We have a lot of hatred and a lot of cancel culture going on and all of this, but so it's the amount of censorship going on. Like it's, it's, if you look back through human history, when was there a time that the people that were about censorship mm-hmm. were about limitations of energy were on the right side of truth? Mm-hmm. 
never happened. Mm-hmm. You know? And so we should be very wary of mm-hmm. governments or government agencies or pseudo-government agencies that come running at us saying, you know, that you know, there's only one narrative and everything else needs to be removed. And that, that's on the wrong side. Yeah. That's on the wrong side of truth. And, and so that's difficult because what we would like to know as scientists is what is the truth about something like coronavirus? What is the truth about a pandemic? But when there's such control of the narrative and there's a pounding of the drum of, you know, only believe the science. But if you bring forward any science that doesn't fit the common narrative, then it's rejected, you know? So that's not the scientific process. That's not how, you know, science works as a system of inquiry. Science is not a system of truth. It's not. There's no body of knowledge that we call science. Science is a process for investigating truth, for exploring the reality we live in. But it's never done. You know, it's never like some finished narrative. Uh, we always find out every couple hundred years, holy crap, we weren't <laughs> in the right playing field. Like, mm-hmm. And that's what's just happened with this microbiome story. Like, For the first time in 200,000 years of Homo sapiens, we're suddenly realizing... We're wrong. Human human health doesn't center on a human cell. We we thought we were the most intelligent life form on the planet. It, it just so happens that we're the most fine tuned orchestra on the planet. We're we're a fine tuned orchestra of life, and that makes us appear intelligent. But when we separate ourselves from that greater symphony of life around us, then we look really stupid uh, because there's not actually intelligence within the human. Mm-hmm. There's an intelligence within nature. There's mm-hmm. intelligence within the life within us. And so that's what our lab has been focused on for the last 10 years is what is that intelligence of nature? Where does that come from? And the answer is through biodiversity. And it got to biodiversity through adaptation. And so the one rule of biology is adapt, 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 take in new information, change. What To what purpose? For biodiversity. And here we are in a narrative of isolate, 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 mm-hmm. kill everything around you, sterilize mm-hmm. everything. The amount of you know isopropyl alcohol that ends up in the bloodstream of pilots and you know flight mm. attendants and everything else right now is horrifying. There from um the from the cleansers and sanitizers, yeah, sanitizers, that are being, uh-huh. you know, hand sanitizers on every flight now, and it's being wiped down over and over again. So they're breathing that isopropyl alcohol in the in the closed air systems, and and so it's it's a stunning amount of you know toxicity that we're you know not just there but restaurant industry any. Our hospitality spaces, our hotels have become just you know, toxic wastelands of, of sterile sterile efforts, you know. And so we are certainly, despite all of the revolution of the microbiome, we're still not realizing its its implications. What does the science say about our lifestyle? And, and would simply say we need to stop trying to be alone. We need to welcome ourselves back into this greater nature. We need to start to design houses that breathe. We need to start to design school systems that are more based in nature than they are in square buildings. You know, we got to get the kids out of the box mm-hmm. and we need to let them start to be creative beings again. And so I get inspired by that potential. Like, okay, we've actually never done that in modern education. We've always put kids in boxes and tell them to stare at the square chalkboard, two-dimensional drawing on the front of the class and memorize that. And now we've got you know, two-dimensional two screens that they stare into as an artificial reality. And we've got this real loss of you know, connection to the world around us. And therefore we behave as we do. We hope you're enjoying this conversation. We're going to take a few moments to share brands with you that we love and who support this show. 
I've been talking a lot about how I am not doing caffeine and people in the DMs were asking me how I cope. Well, how I cope is through the happiness powder, which is an herbal coffee, serotonin and dopamine supplement from Anima Mundi, which has no caffeine. It is this amazing, multi-rich, bomb, bomb, bomb beverage that I have every single morning with like a warm nut milk. And it's kind of coffee-esque, but it doesn't have the crash. Yeah, I I love Anima Mundi. This powder is incredible, but what I love is that there's no fillers, no binders. Like they are obsessed with quality. All of their products are made in the US with certified organic herbs, wild and sustainably harvested plants in a vegan and gluten-free kitchen. We've had Adriana Ayalis, the founder of Anima Mundi on the podcast. She's been to camp um, and she is just a wealth of knowledge for anyone who wants to build their herbal apothecary. Yeah, and I really love that Anima Mundi supports fair trade practices. So it's beyond organic farming. They have education. They work with small farmers. She's female. She's BIPOC owned. She's a master herbalist. She's from Costa Rica. So this brand is incredibly powerful. The real deal. There's so much beautiful energy and intention behind every single one of the products that they have. I cannot recommend them enough. So again, our rec right now is the happiness powder. It's energizing. It's mood boosting. It is your kind of trade for coffee. It's caffeine-free, adaptogenic. I think you're going to absolutely love it. It's really great for liver and gut support as well. So go to animamundiherbals.com. Use the code ALMOST30 for 15% off your purchase. That's A-N-I-M-A-M-U-N-D-I herbals.com. Use the code ALMOST30 for 15% off your purchase. So I've been exploring fasting lately. I actually did a three-day water fast over the holidays because I committed to it. I felt really good. And what really supported me actually was having Element on hand to make sure that my hydration was right. I could have a little bit of amazing flavor with no sugar, no crash. So I'm really a huge fan of Element. I use it when I intermittent fast, when I do long-term fasts. And it has been something that has really helped me to stay hydrated, which changes my mood, which changes my body composition. I love Element so much. Yeah. And the flavors, I got to say, they're so good and it really helps me to stay hydrated. I don't know about you, but it has to taste good. So right now I am obsessed with their watermelon salt. I also really, really love their raspberry salt. And I mix this in 24 ounces of cold water. Um, I'll usually do this at the start of the day. I want to get ahead of my hydration and it really ensures that I don't have a lot of brain fog. I have energy. I tend to suffer from a little bit of dehydration. It comes from my soul cycle days and Element has changed the game. Yeah, I like their chocolate salt. So when I first heard, I was like, chocolate, I'm probably never going to have that flavor. It is so bomb and I'll put it in coffee. If I ever drink caffeine, if I ever drink coffee, I want to make sure that I'm staying hydrated because caffeine is a natural diuretic. It can actually dehydrate you. So by adding the element chocolate salt in there, it makes it this like rich, chocolatey, salty goodness, and then it keeps you hydrated. And for our community, I'm super pumped because you get a free sample pack, all seven packets of element you get to try when you go to drinkelement.com slash almost 30. That's drinklmnt.com slash almost 30. And you'll just have to pay for shipping. It's like five bucks and you'll get a full sample pack to try. So go right now to drinkelement.com slash almost 30. 
Yeah, the censorship piece is interesting because like my guides are always just like, you're on the right side of history. Like whatever I'm feeling, I'm on the right side of history. And that could be egoic, but I feel like that in my heart. And I remember when our episode got taken off YouTube. YouTube took our episode off. And in that episode, we talked nothing about vaccines, nothing about coronavirus, except that fear has an effect on the immune system. And I was just like, if this is censored, I am completely on doing the right thing. Like, I just was like, what? In what world where we're telling people to go outside, we're telling people to connect more in nature. We're telling people to love themselves just as they are. We're telling people that there is an effect of fear on the immune system and that is censored. I was like, wow, there is so, there's something here, you know? And have you felt that? Have you felt that personally where you're like, things that you've said or, or things that you've done or the way that you've moved, have you felt that censorship within what you do? I think it happens all the time around us. And you know, a lot of the stuff that we talk about as scientists are being censored yeah. all the time now. You know, there's scientists all over the world trying to speak up right now. And there's you know tens of thousands of you know incredible peer-reviewed science you know, to prove that we've got the wrong narrative going here. But it's you know it's just not being that narrative is not being allowed to be put together. You know, so you know, on a personal level. You know, I think it's very important that we don't believe that censorship means truth either. You know, it means that I'm thinking something that doesn't yes. fit a common narrative, but that doesn't, you know, I should be very careful not to let that be my ego. Mm -hmm. You know, like, oh, everything I'm saying is truthful because, mm -hmm. well, no, I'm, I'm an explorative scientist. I'm an explorative, inquisitive human that's exploring consciousness, exploring the current moment. And so I need to make sure that I'm keeping an open hand on what is truth and make sure I'm resonating with everything that's and checking it again and mm -hmm. again against everything else. Like there's just so many mirrors we can look in to double check our truth, you know, and ultimately, you know, I've found a very unique time in my life here where I'm finding that the most important time for me is to be alone, which I've never allowed myself much of that time. I've always been in service to, you know, family and friends and, you know, kids and, job and everything else. And I'm finding out that I underserved, you know, my full potential because I was so busy, you know, being distracted from who I am. And there's just such a deep beauty right now in these silent moments that I'm getting and starting to pay attention to. I think they're, they're more abundant than we think. We just were trained to immediately fill them with another distraction, you know, and so we jump on our Instagram or we jump on, you know, our text messages or we call a friend or every blank space in the day we fill. And now I'm finding out, man, I just freaking love this drive in here today. I, I'm not a huge fan of Los Angeles overall, but my God, that beauty of, you know, some of these old neighborhoods with the sun shining, you know, slanting through those trees and the way in which that flashing light, you know, engages the eyes and the neural system with the leaves kind of just barely trembling in that little sea breeze. And there's a beauty there that is easy to drive by. And uh, it's easy to stare at your phone for another moment instead of recognizing that. So I think that I'm realizing that I don't, the, the common narrative and its censorship can limit my own truth if I let them define it for me. Mm -hmm. And so whether they censor me or don't censor me, that's, that doesn't, <laughs> that shouldn't be an input into who mm -hmm. am I? Yes. What am I here to do? my sense of self should be bigger than that. you know. Mm -hmm. And so I should have a real sense of peace waking up on the pillow in the morning, 
that has nothing to do with the common narratives or you know, belief systems around what I'm doing or who I am or whatnot. And that just, you know, I'm at a deeper level of peace within myself right now than I ever have before. And I just, I'm trying to savor that because I know there's part of me that would like to just rush on and be like, okay, so now what am I going to do? <laughs> yes. Instead of just like, wait, hold on, this is precious. And mm. at the tipping point of all things, maybe the most important thing we do is be silent. You know? At the tipping point of all history of humankind and perhaps the planet, is it most important that we hold still? And that might, that might be something you know, that we should think about in human relationship as well as you know, where's the stillness, where's the space between in our families, you know, and how do we tend to clutter up that intimate space of family with opinions and, you know, discussions around the table and forget to just be silent together. So in this, you know, my favorite part of every year being Thanksgiving here in that you know, sense of Thanksgiving, maybe what we need to do is shift deep this year and just be in silent gratitude for the fact that we're alive right now. And uh, we've lost, you know, a lot of people this last year, but it hasn't had any impact on human population, like, which means we're going to lose for, you know, many, many more than what we've seen this last few years. This would, this would seem to be a pretty normal mortality rate because our, our growth rate continued the same. And so whether we argue about population numbers or, or rather COVID numbers or whatever it is, the population numbers are kind of undeniable. You know, our population is still growing. And with our current behavior, we are the cataclysmic event on the planet. And for that, we have a moment in time to realize who we are and realize we're part of a greater system and we're being called to adapt and look for biodiversity in every part of our lives. And that needs to probably start in our hearts, you know. What what is the biodiversity of feelings that you can sit with in that space? What are the feelings you're suppressing right now? What can you, in the silence, let bubble up? And when you're in that silence and you feel something bubble up, what's normally your process? Hmm. I don't think I have a scientific process on that one. <laughs> I think it's What's experiential. What's your heart process? <laughs> you know, it's experiential, right? Um, you know, depending on the sensation that's cruising through your body, um, I think it's important to give it time. Mm -hmm. You know, we have a tendency to rush past our emotions, and we end up burying them in our tissue. For that, our fascial plane holds an enormous amount of emotional stress, and so whether it be work with a myofascial therapist or mm. deep tissue massage or you know, some sort of, you know, a traditional healing art. I'm a huge fan of Lomi Lomi, which is a Hawaiian traditional deep body work. And these are mechanisms that have been developed over thousands of years to clear the stuck emotions. And while I really thoroughly love that work, I also realize there's a higher calling is that we could stop sticking shit in there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Let's just keep it clear. And so how do we stop storing toxic emotions or even perhaps untoxic emotions, how do we allow that to clear through our system? And I think it's just that extra couple of breaths. All right, I'm feeling it. I'm still feeling it. It's okay. Seven seconds is all it takes for the amygdala to fire off a neurochemical event that we call an emotion. Seven seconds isn't very long, but we don't wait the seven seconds. And so we instead try to analyze it, justify it, suppress it. Seven seconds. So when, next time you feel something bubbling up, just count to seven, slow. 
breathe through it and realize, okay, yeah, that is dissipating. That sensation is dissipating. Okay, yeah, it was. It happened. It was a reflection of my environment's impact on me, but I'm going to let it flow through me. And the clearer I get in these recent you know, months as a human being, the more I'm enjoying the sensation of flow in my body. And I love not holding on to you know, belief systems around roles, duty, perceived public good or perceived public you know, purpose. It's not possible that we signed up for with these ancient souls to, do, to serve outside of ourselves. We had to serve within ourselves. And to get there, we need to start to flow. And we've been taught how to do absolutely the opposite. We've created a log jam out of every emotion that comes through. We create uh, analytical and emotional adaptation <laughs> process to fear, guilt, insecurity, you know, that belief of scarcity. So to flow, you need to start letting go of everything. And uh, it's not for the faint of heart, as they say. You know, it takes a lot of courage to let go of everything. And uh, the better we do that right now, at the tipping point of all things, the more beautiful a future we'll create but we're going to have to let everything adapt. We're going to have to let everything become uh, a state, a surrender experiment. You know, <laughs> we need to start, stop trying to micromanage our realities, our physical experiences, our emotional experiences, and start to just be experiential. And this goes back almost 2,000, over 2,000 years now to an incredible Greek philosopher that was Epicurus. And he had the philosophy that the highest purpose and calling of humans was to sense pleasure in every possible way. He did this brilliantly. It's amazing that he came up with this a couple thousand years ago, but he already had the perception that turns out to be very right in our, our modern understanding of neurochemistry and the whole neural system of the body is that the, the vast majority of our neural network is there to be sensory experience. And so the amount of brain that's taken up with our auditory experience, our visual experience, our, you know, sense of touch, our sense of, you know, spiritual connection, all, our neurologic system is wired for it. And so why would this neural system exist if not to bring ourselves closer to a state of sensory experience? And every time we celebrate, we go out and drink alcohol to dull that sense. Every time we get depressed, we go and drink more alcohol to <laughs> suppress that feeling. So whether it be alcohol or non-steroidal anti-inflammatories or antidepressants or all the chemicals we pour on to these sensory experiences are, are there to dull the experience. And, you know, very, very long, you know, in Chinese medicine and very long in, you know, the shamanic work done down in South America and everything else is the understanding that the antidote is always within the wound. We need to stop running from the wound. We need to stop suppressing the pain. We need to walk right into the pain and ask why and what's there to learn and where's the, where's the antidote to our suffering because it's there. And so as we look at these you know, deep social wounds that we have from a nation, an empire that was built on slavery, one of the many empires built on slavery, what does it mean to be benefiting from a society that to this day can feel continues to exploit near slave labor conditions in our migrant farm workers for our food system, our extreme abuse of farmers in South America and the like under NAFTA as our 
you know, national free trade, international free trade agreements and everything else. Like it's just devastating human life all around us. And so we have this deep wound. And when we look at the, you know, racial abuses, you know, abuse of women, abuse of children, these are deep wounds. And, you know, the resurgence of these, you know, issues this year have been poignant. And unfortunately, I think used as divisive mechanisms instead of, uh, opportunities to dive deep and it tends to create a recoiling away from the wound mm-hmm. when we stir up the pain in, in derisive and kind of judgmental fashion it takes the it increases the the degree of the wound without perhaps giving it respect and if we really have reverence for women and children and the you know minorities that have been so enslaved in this empire and others we need to start to be willing to walk into the pain and certainly anybody who is enjoying your current level of comfort and wealth that you do enjoy every day in the United States right now, it's important to acknowledge that's that's the result of slave labor. That's the result of extractive, abusive consumerism. And we need to come closer to that. And I think we'll stop buying stuff and we'll start living a little more. You know, we'll start coming closer to each other and we'll start making our own gifts. <laughs> What would it look like if we gifted each other poetry instead of another thing off of Amazon? You know, and so we need to start writing. We need to start creating art again. We need to create, you know, a deep sense of, you know, our personal connection to creativity because that's the spiritual path towards self awareness. Is ultimately there's an energy in you called creativity, and it is your highest expression. And so, what are you here to create? And uh, take responsibility for the fact that you have that within you and hold space for it create healthy boundaries around that creative space and enjoy the heck out of it. It's just such a lovely experience to feel creativity bubbling up through your veins. It's it's intriguing. It's mysterious. It's got this, you know, kind of sticky, gooey, kind of in love feeling to it because it's got this lovely depth and kind of mystic quality to it that I love being in. And so I just realized a couple months ago that I want to paint. I've never painted before, so I went to Marshall's and walked up to the woman and said, I, I want to start painting. Just can you show me what I need? And she's like, well, what do you, what kind of, she asked me 10, She's like, mixed questions. media? Like, What's yeah, your I thing? I had no idea what she was talking about. I was like, yeah, you're like, this no, is paint. too much. <laughs> you're like, paint by yeah, numbers? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I could start there. But now I have these canvases at home and these acrylic paints. And mm-hmm. I've started sketching just with simple pencil, I didn't realize that that was kind of in me and something in there. And it's this new discovery of art is not, you know, the creative process is not about accomplishment. It's about expression. And it's too bad we've forgotten that about life. You know, it's about expression. It's not about winning the game. And we need to shift from these finite games that we play to an infinite game. Finite games are designed to have a winner and a loser. Infinite games are designed so that we continue to play. And we are seeing in this extinction event the result of finite thinking for millennia. And there's an opportunity for us to shift into an infinite mindset of how do we not just persist, but how do we become co-creators in a future that nature is going to create when we go extinct. Nature will come back brighter, more beautiful, just as it did after the last extinction. After that last extinction some 55 million years ago, Mother Earth did not struggle back in her creative efforts to create the dinosaurs. Instead, she she saw a blank slate. She said, wow, 97% of life gone. I wonder what we should create this time. 
and the genetic record left behind in the viro, the viral you know, database from that extinction event. When you put an animal or creature or a plant under stress, it immediately starts making genetic variants to find loopholes in, in the thing that's killing it. And so it's looking for new variability. So stress actually has a beautiful effect in biology that it is the mechanism of adaptation. And I think if we look at that in our lives, when we go back to the emotions, think about that. Like, okay, I'm experiencing emotions bubbling up. It feels like fear, feels like guilt, feels like stress, feels like, you know, a state of scarcity. Acknowledge that and then let your body transmute that because it will. The biology will immediately respond with a new genetic sequence that says, well, here's something else we could try genetically to see if that gets us out of the stress. So instead of dinosaurs, we ended up with mammals. We ended up, instead of ferns, we ended up with wildflowers and deciduous trees. Such a higher expression of beauty on this planet because she started over with a blank canvas. And so maybe there's a deep service within what we do in killing the planet this time. Maybe we're just blanking the canvas again. But I, perhaps in my ego, <laughs> egoic human mind is, is really curious to be like, what, what would that look like to be able to paint on that canvas with Mother Nature? Can't we be, for the first time, co-creators with her? Is that maybe why she designed us? You know, Were we, in fact, designed to be so sentient that we'd ultimately be able to hyper-jump our ego and our sense of conflict and our sense of disconnection to realize connection and co-creative possibility? So I get excited about that. I think we have the opportunity in these next couple of decades to say, no, no, we, we know how to do all of this. We simply need to look at the mycelial network and the intelligence of nature within her design to understand what education systems look like, what macroeconomics looks like, what society looks like when it's not extractive, when it's not destructive, when in fact with every transaction there's more worth and value on the planet rather than less. And so that's largely what my company is you know, focused on is all these subsidiaries looking at what is the natural design of all these systems, energy systems, transportation, what's the natural design that's sitting there right in front of us that we've now had the scientific rigor and capacity to understand what is that telling us about our potential to be co-creators. And it gives me great hope to see just the genius flowing through. You know, so many people working in these companies now, it's, it's dumbfounding what goes on in a week because... I'm watching these incredibly brilliant minds start to crack the code on what our future might look like. And it gets me excited for uh, everybody to start engaged. We, we only have you know, 100 people engaged right now. What if that was 100 million people engaged in a co-creative process? What if it was 1 billion? You know, what if it was all of us? What if 7.8 billion people were suddenly given permission to be creators and rather, rather than, you know, employees or extractive you know, human capital. Uh, we have an, an enormous opportunity to, to paint something new on this canvas of Mother Earth. We could certainly create soil systems more abundant than we've seen since the last extinction 55 million years ago. We could reach that kind of intelligence in the soil systems just within a few short centuries. With doing the right thing, we could create the most abundant planet that's ever existed and what life would come out of that? What light density would we hold as human beings if we got to eat that food from that kind of intelligent soil system? What kind of hugs would we give each other if we were glowing that bright? Would we sit and rest in the hug instead of push on? Would we give back in that hug instead of extract? It's a beautiful opportunity that we have. We'll be back in just a moment. But first, we want to share a little bit about the sponsors who support this episode. 
I have been getting my collagen every single day, no matter if I'm traveling or not. I have been using Beauty and the Broth. This is a total beauty elixir. You've heard us say it. Collagen is one of our beauty secrets. This creates beauty from the inside out, truly. And so this is concentrated bone broth in single serving packets that I can take with me on the road or I have at home and I just combine it with hot water and I have my beautiful, yummy cup of bone broth and I love it. Yeah, when we were in Sedona with friends, I actually brought the packets of beauty in the broth so we could have a nice warming broth. And you all know that I'm plant-based and they have an amazing vegan one that has mushrooms and chickpea miso and sea salt and ginger puree. It's so good. It has so much fiber and it's so supportive of a healthy gut. And they have no artificial flavors, preservatives, phthalates, sugars, and no salt added. But these are shelf stable, so you can keep them in uh, your pantry and they will be ready to go whenever you need. They're all organic, grass-fed, ranch-raised beef and vegetarian-fed free-range chicken bones. So don't worry about that. And again, like Krista said, they have an incredible vegan bone broth as well. So if you want glowing skin, strong nails and hair, improved recovery, increased energy, better sleep, you want better digestion, boosted immunity, bone broth will support you in all of those. So go to the beauty and the broth, spell it all out, thebeautyandthebroth.com and use the code almost30nation for 20% off thebeautyandthebroth.com. Use the code almost30nation for 20% off. If you are someone that's listening to Almost 30, you know a bit about health and you know a bit about adaptogens, about superfoods, about vitamin and minerals, about enzymes and mushrooms. And if you want to place a one-stop shop to get all of those powerful ingredients and powerful ways to support our health, none other than Athletic Greens. One scoop, baby. One scoop each day contains 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients, including multivitamins, multimineral, probiotic, green superfood blend, and more. And again, this is one daily serving that is going to help fill the nutritional gaps in your diet. This will support your energy and focus, aid with your gut health and digestion, and support a healthy immune system. I take it every single morning on an empty stomach. It's the first thing I drink. And I I've never felt better. Yeah. Like I, when I take my athletic greens, I know I'm going to be good. Yeah. I love that they have like things like ashwagandha in there, which is really supportive of your healthy mood. They have a bunch of digestive enzymes and super mushrooms. I was getting my mushrooms from different sources, but it felt really good to just have it in my morning beverage. So mm-hmm. cannot recommend them enough. You will feel better. You will look better. You will just have so much more energy. Athletic Greens is the go-to. So go to athleticgreens.com slash almost 30 today. And Athletic Greens is going to give you, our listeners, an immune supporting free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. These travel packs are so clutch. I bring them everywhere. Athleticgreens.com slash almost 30. Athleticgreens.com slash almost 30. And you'll get a free one-year supply of vitamin D plus five free travel packs with your purchase. Something you spoke about, I think, speaks to this concept too, is if you serve, and you talked a little bit about serving your soul, like serving like your connection and how we need to focus on like that first before we sort of go outside of ourselves. But you're someone that's in such service to the world and service to others. 
So how do you find that balance where people need to serve their highest expression and their soul and their creativity, but then also be in service in a way that helps us make change for the rebirth? I think we would find that those are not mutually exclusive of each other, right? And so my deepest joy is to be engaged in really intense living. I love the intensity of you know, academics. I love the intensity of intellectual pursuit. I love the intensity of playing a djembe by a fireside with friends. I love the intensity of, you know, creating music. I love the feeling of guitar strings under my fingers. I, I, and so what blesses me deeply and what serves me spiritually, whether it be music by the fireside or, you know, creative process in my work, Ultimately, it needs to be for me first, and then it will be the highest expression of myself in service to others. You know, but if I get those out of order, and I lead with a sense of duty, that puts me in an endocrine state of deficiency, scarcity. There's not enough time for me, so I, because I serve everybody else, so that puts the whole body in a sense of fight or flight state immediately upon awakening. If you're trying to serve everybody else before yourself, and this is incredibly challenging in parenting, right? We have created nuclear families, which was you know, the most devastating thing perhaps to our sense of self because it used to be that the kids would wake up in community and they'd run around together and now the kid runs straight to mom at five o'clock in the morning and wakes her up from much needed sleep and expects everything to flow through that one woman or whatnot. And that is so exhausting as a parent when you've, the entire tribe has been replaced by you, you know, and... And so I think we can find out that we've kind of done that across the board. We've done that over and over again in isolation, creating this extreme sense of duty and service to others before self. And so it's important to think about how we start to redesign the family unit. You know, how do we start to reimagine, you know, the whole construct of these special relationships, you know, like exclusivity is not the answer. Nature has never worked through exclusivity. And so... How do we start to imagine past that? How do we start acting in community as community? How do we start to serve ourselves before community? It's it's going to be a process because it's really never been done successfully. You know, I believe maybe there's few spots, but I I can see it. You know, already having its you know kind of stress marks on it. And when I went down to a tribe in the South America in those recent months and. I was in deep in the Amazon with an incredible group, Pachamama uh, Network, and uh, the Pachamama Alliance with Lynn Twist and her incredible group there. They've been with this indigenous group for 26 years, and it was the last indigenous group on the planet to have touch with you know, the colonial powers. And so they actually actively reached out to the West through dream work. They were the first in anthropologic history to reach out to a colonial power instead of just being invaded by... And so they did that um, because they saw in their dreams that they would be destroyed, their force would be destroyed by this power that was out there. And so they started reaching out through dreams and inviting people into their world through dream work. And when they showed up, they've been, you know, the call has been, we need, you know, our purposes, you know, the Achuar is to help the West redream itself, you know, redream its reality. And it's really humbling to be around a peoples that sees its own termination and reaches out with kindness and a sense of, you know, community, a, a new sense of like, we all need to be connected. This is one thing. This is one planet. This is one peoples. And they've been carrying that, you know, awareness for 40,000 years, living in the same location of the jungle for 40,000 years. 
And it's, you know, the abundance quality is obvious when you're in that group. Their kitchens are kind of amazing. There's no refrigerators. There's no storage. They basically cook and prepare what they need that day. And then they go out in the rainforest and they collect again what they're going to eat the next day because the forest is always provided for them for 40,000 years. And so when you walk into our kitchens and see all of the frenetic storage, and then you walk into our grocery stores and see the more vast amount of frenetic storage, we've forgotten that connection to a, a provision of nature. And we've outsourced that to monopolies and massive corporations. And so we need to start to regain that connection. So then the question is, well, are these indigenous people, are they the answer? Do we just template after them? And I think the answer ends up being no. I think there's still a higher, you know, transmutation that we're going to have to create for humanity because you see a lot of the same vulnerabilities in their psyche as soon as they touch the West. You know, their kids are now going to schools and cities and they're starting to get obesity and diabetes and diseases they've never had by just a, a decade or two of touch with the West. They're getting sick and they're also you can see them immediately you know, adopting the consumer behavior. They suddenly all want engines for their boats. They want, you know, they've literally got cell phones in the jungle and they're scrolling Facebook. It's just like, whoa, that is so fast to take away the sense of freedom, the sense of autonomy that's been in there for 40,000 years. We, we managed to turn that off in two short decades, you know. So, so consumerism is a powerful drug to the human brain. And so we're going to have to really collectively work to find the opposite, which is ultimately creativity, I hope. Mm. Is consumerism like a dopamine, serotonin conversation or what? what is that? Yeah. Yeah. It's all the reward pathways there. So you'll get norepinephrine, epinephrine uh, kind of modulation as well as the dopamine, serotonin, but it's basically a reward system. Just like, you know, you show the mouse how to push the button and the bean drops out. They'll, they'll keep pushing that thing at infinitum, you know, because there's this immediate neural connection of if I do this, I get this. And so it's it's a dangerous you know, pattern in our neurology that I think we have the opportunity to grow out of. And instead of saying we push the button, something comes out, we ask the deeper question of what are we really looking for? And maybe that's what the mouse hasn't been given the ability to ask. What are we actually looking for in life? What are we actually chasing? Is it really more stuff or is it actually space? Is it actually self-awareness? Is it actually a sense of peace? Is it actually a sense of community? Is it actually a sense of deep purpose within that's being expressed through creative capacity? And obviously, I think those are it. But how are we going to stop the addiction process? And so it's, it's a, quite a journey we have ahead. And we have to do it really, really quick. But uh, I think it's possible. I think that I see for every you know darkness of our moment, I see an opposite and equal light uh, within our moment. And people are popping off right now. And people are waking up to realizing that they had put themselves in a box. The world had put them in a box spiritually into their religion boxes relationally into their exclusive special situations into the family box family box <laughs> the work box you know I'm happy meal box <laughs> I'm an employee then, yeah very good example so <laughs> we've keep we, we've been reductionist in that opportunity and there's an opportunity to kind of just blow all of that up and I see it happening all over if, if anything's happened in 2021 which I think is one of the questions is I think we are seeing the dichotomy of control and freedom. Mm -hmm. And we're seeing freedom rise yes. mm -hmm. and we're seeing control rise mm -hmm. at the same rate, mm -hmm. which is creating this extraordinary stress mm -hmm. on the society, on mm -hmm. the planet. It's creating psychosocial stressors among us. And we need to be called to, to take the time now to say, okay, what is the space between those two extremes? Instead of rushing towards 
the control or the freedom. What's the space between? What is, what's all of that plasticity in between capable of holding? And that's where we're going to find our future. There's a great scripture in Ecclesiastes that says, I've seen two evil, evils. One is a foolish man living long in his foolishness, and one is a wise man dying young in his wisdom. And it is better to grasp the one while not letting go of the other, the foolishness and the wisdom. And so it's better to grasp them both. And the next line always gives me goosebumps. For God is in heaven, you are on earth, so let your words be few. <laughs> For a guy who talks his brain out all the time, I have to remind myself all the time that my words should be few. I need to be generous mm. with the st- space between my words. Mm-hmm. So I hope that everybody listening here is feeling mm. me more than listening to me mm-hmm. because I am. I showed up here today to be present with all of you and to show you the hurt, the hope, the frustration, the sense of loss, the sense of gain, the sense of freedom, the sense of fear, all of that within me. And I'm just going to stand here for a moment and reflect all that back at you because it's, it's the same as you're going through. And it's not something we need to hold on to. We can just acknowledge that's all flowing through. Let go of it. Surrender it. Be in the space between our words. And I feel like that's what's so powerful about what you do is that heart-centered intention and that ability to be. And that's why our audience connects with you so much. When we're talking about Mother Nature and Mother Earth, I've felt almost like shame because I feel like, oh my God, I just feel so sorry. So if I'm coming to something and I'm feeling shame and the reason why I'm coming to it is because of shame or fear, the intention sort of muddies the actual act. How can we be reminded of the support and love that mother nature has for us? And this like undeniable ability to receive us as we are? It's a great question. I think that, you know, walking through a forest or, you know, a, my favorite thing is to go to these edible forests that are now starting to be planted all over the world. You know, these uh, incredible, you know, five, six level growing systems that have got, you know, plant life, uh, root vegetables all the way to your cruciferous vegetables growing on the ground. But then you have bushes of berries and uh, you've got nut trees and fruit trees and uh, you've got these canopies around you that are blossoming with life and beauty. And I'm always struck by the design of nature that you would do everything so beautifully. And so uh, your purpose was designed so that you would put color to it all. A rose is not red. That's weird. You know, the, the yellow of a lemon growing on a tree that I was just looking at this morning, not yellow. It's just got a vibrational result from the sunlight hitting it and my human eye is what is able to perceive it as yellow and ascribe you know a title to it and so look around and understand that you were given the opportunity to be that that bride of christ as it's often said there in scripture but you were there to be married to that nature you know uh, you were there to be the sensory worship and if, why would she create such exquisite flowers before creating the berry if you weren't supposed to be here? I think that's just a miraculous thing that you know, you've been given the ability to observe her 
and she's titillating in her capacity to explode your neurologic input. You know, if, if you pick a piece of fruit and eat it off the tree, that experience with sunlight on your skin, the odor that happens when you break open a piece of fruit, uh, orange off a tree, and that citrusy smell, and the closer you've maybe come to that is your vitamin C supplement recently, but, but go out and pick an orange off a tree and smell that aroma and then put your face in that fruit and you know feel the textures and before the taste comes, experience what it really feels like to dive deep into creation and the warmth and the synergy between soil and sun and what it's done in such unique fashion for your body to not only be blessed by in a state of joy, but also nourished. And so she's put her nourishment in beautiful packages, which is not what we do as humans. If you walk through a grocery store, no matter how good the branding is, it's crap compared to what nature does. <laughs> it's just crap compared to what nature does. She prepares it in such beauty because she would nurture everything around her. She would want the butterflies to see the beauty of the flower. She would want the bat to be able to sense that ripe fruit that it's going to go after in the dark. The sensory experience of the bat, radically different, obviously, than the human. No sight, but knows with pleasure what lies on the other side of that sensory sonar, you know, bouncing off of a, a ripe fruit. It knows its ripeness, not only that it's the fruit it prefers, and it knows exactly at what moment to eat it. And so the beauty in that, the beauty in which nature observes her own self is exquisite and we should be more careful observers of her to fall back in love with her. Mm. Yeah, it's crazy to think when you think about technology and the advancements, it's like still doesn't hold a candle to nature when you figure out what octopuses can do. When you hear about sonars and echolocation with bats, you're like, none of it compares to what nature has managed to do with animals, with plants. I mean, it's so fascinating. And it's like, that's, it reminds me how little we actually know. And our attention is always kind of in the wrong place with it all, which is always fascinating to me. When you were talking a little bit about silence and just the importance of silence, I just want to kind of talk about the importance of silence, but then also what's your relationship to community? So when silence has become even more important for you, but I think it's also been very clear that community is also very important in that connection. So how do you balance the two within your life so that you are finding yourself feeling nourished by both? Yeah, I think it's practicing that same silence in community, right? Instead of you know, feeling the need to fill every moment with conversation or the latest bit of news or you know latest piece of fashion or whatever we're going to discuss instead take you know develop the discipline to be silent together very few of us are blessing food anymore you know and I'm not exactly sure why scripture's coming up so often in this podcast but apparently that's you're where always I am Jesus right now. <laughs> your Jesus vibe is always popping with almost 30 <laughs> um, but the you know the, the state of giving grace you know that silence before a meal before we're going to experience nature's abundance. Can we take the time for silence for a moment, take a couple deep breaths before we even start saying the prayer that's going to inevitably fall short of the, the real truth of the beauty that we're about to receive and it will be an incomplete gratitude. And so let the sound in the community resonate in the silence there 
I just had an incredible dinner the other night with four friends in the desert. And there's five of us around this whole Italian restaurant outside of Sedona. And it was the most exquisite meal. Uh, it was ran for almost four hours because we found silence over and over again together. And we were in tears almost the whole time for the beauty that we were seeing in each other. And, you know, five friends, some of us new, some of us old, that were seeing new levels of beauty within each other because we were experiencing the opportunity to be in reverence together in silence. And there was a reverence for each person there. And as the dinner started, you know, I went around the table just expressing my gratitude for each of the people there, which I hadn't, that's not a norm for me, but it just kind of broke out of just like, I want to just say something quick about each of you and what you've done for me in my life and what space you've held in my life for me to develop and for me to feel unjudged and to do whatever I need to, to become me. And you guys have, you know, held enormous space for me to express myself in new ways. And it's a, it's a mysterious beauty uh, to that. And the whole world fell away that night, you know, where you forget you're in a restaurant, you, for, you forget there's waiters moving stuff around you and you're just in the experience at the soul level. That's community. That's that moment that uh, when you drive home that night, there's so much to integrate because you saw four souls instead of four hours of conversation and you saw them lighting up and you saw them depth in their eyes that you had been seeing their eyes for eight years. And yet in that moment, holy smokes, the depth of their vision, their love, their capacity to communicate through those eyes is next level. And it takes you down. It, it overwhelms the emotional experience. It overwhelms the entire neurologic cascade when you're being that well-seen and that well-loved. And that's what dinner time should start to look like. Yeah. That's a beautiful exercise for our community. And, you know, the silence to experience the silence. And I could imagine myself in that situation just to be seen like that is... is not something that people do and experience often. And it's the seeingness is just so different than anything else that you'll ever feel. You know, it's like, it's seeing beyond the form, beyond the conversation, beyond the topic, beyond the label, beyond everything. And it's just, I mean, I, even in you explaining that, I'm like, I feel like I'm there and it just feels so special and galactic. And I think when we talk about the space that we are in, in history, that tipping point, it's powerful to me that that veil is so accessible. Like your ability to do that with the way that we've sort of reached this level in consciousness, I don't know if it would have been available a while ago or years ago. And it's beautiful that we now have this access to these experiences that are so powerful. And I'm hopeful that that can support us in this rebirth that you were talking about and this step forward to really recognizing one another in that way. Yeah, that's the path. Mm -hmm. <laughs> what is just one last thing you want to leave with our audience today? What is one thing that's really just on your heart or on your mind or something that you've been really compelled thinking that you've been thinking about lately? I think, you know, just kind of sum up, like, what are we experiencing in this conversation right now? You know, there's, I think we can walk away from a time of sharing like this and be like, wait, what was that experience? What, the, you know, I, I remember it was awesome, but what the I hell know. was it? I was thinking about that. Like, what are we going to call this episode? I'm like, I don't even know, but it's amazing. <laughs> 
the amazing podcast. So, <laughs> yes. um, so what what is happening? What what are we feeling together? Because uh, we've actually shared some silence together today. And so, what did we feel in that? You know, a lot of the work that one of my colleagues has brought forth is this this issue of beauty. That I've struggled a lot with understanding love my whole life, just watching it in the efforts of humans to express that to one another, how dysfunctional it comes off and how we must have a very flawed concept of it perhaps. Or I just was struggling with much of my life and so much so that I was lecturing on it and everything else, just like asking people to reflect back at me, like, what are you experiencing this thing? Because if if John Lennon and everybody else is right, the love is the fabric of everything, then we must be very far from enlightenment because we suck at this love thing. <laughs> and so I was struggling with it. And my colleague in deep you know, personal meditative work came back with an incredible message for me. It was Zach, the fabric of everything is not love, it is beauty. And the experience of seeing beauty is love. And that just made it so much easier to understand and suddenly made me realize we are so close to a different level of enlightenment because every human being, Achuar to New York City knows beauty. And no child has ever been had to be instructed that this is a sunset and this is called beauty. There's an inherent neurologic experience. There's a deep knowingness of what is beautiful. And it draws us to one another because humans are beautiful. And so if you feel out of love for the people around you, for your you know, immediate family or your coworkers or whatever it is, look for the beauty instead of trying to conjure up love look for the beauty and then you'll start to experience the love. And so as all of you sit here, what happened last hour is we started to recognize the beauty around us and the beauty within community, the beauty within the space between the words. And for that, we engendered an experience of love in you that you've been missing for a long time because it's not something you can manufacture on your own. You can't actually manufacture love. And therefore it is a scarce commodity until you find out it comes from beauty. And then it trips everything into this state of ease. And it's a state of abundance of my God. I have love for freaking everybody. I have love literally for every single tree I walk by. I have love for every single sunset because I can see the beauty in all of it. And the beauty does not disappear on a bad day. It's still there. And so developing the exercise of looking for the beauty in our lives is going to take us into a completely different state of awareness of who we are and how we're here to serve in this moment, this tipping point moment. And so that's, you know, a hope in me that we can start to bring everybody into this greater community. And so we were working a lot on that with community building and how do we start using, you know, things, technologies like the internet to start building deep spiritual connection and community through, you know, altering lifestyles by looking to the intelligence of nature, by looking to the opportunities within, you know, looking in the mirror of that other human being. And so we have a coaching program that puts that other person across the phone from you every week. And on that eight-week journey into this intrinsic health exploration, you get to see yourself. And we give you some information to digest, but really it's about who are you and what kind of beauty are you expressing? My God, you're so beautiful. And the struggle is beautiful. And the fact that you're struggling with yourself means that there's something that you're, you know there's a deeper level the fact that you're in pursuit of these things. And so that eight-week journey to intrinsic health is something that you know, we've been ongoing for five years and we're really excited about the next iteration because Commune has you know, come alongside of us to, to up our game of community connection and our ability to reach out and connect people over like purpose, which is 
How do we become co-creative? How do we become a vibrant piece of the biodiversity within our nature rather than the extractor and consumer of it? Mm. Beautiful. I want to do that. <laughs> I want to be a part of it. Where can people find you? And where can they find more about ION? Intelligenceofnature.com is uh, the deep dive on the microbiome and the science around those supplements and how those have come to be, you know, the first supplement that actually doesn't hit a receptor. It's, it really is completely agnostic. It's there just to create communication. And so we developed that out of uh, the understanding that trying to micromanage human health doesn't work. And so instead, get back communication and see what is co-created within the complexity of microbiome talking to that, that human body. And so intelligenceofnature.com can get you that deep dive. ZachBushMD.com can get you into all my educational material. The Global Health Education Summit has been a monthly event that we've been doing for 20 to 30,000 people every month coming together around the broader scientific narrative around what's happening right now on the planet at this extinction point and how can we re-understand you know, the events that are unfolding around us without being judgmental, without being you know, divisive. Let's simply understand the science so that we move forward differently. And so that's uh, where you can find much of that material. Amazing. Thank you so much. This has been so lovely. So glad to have shared space with you today. And I'm so grateful that you came. Thank you for having me on. You're welcome. Bye, everyone. Thank you so much, Dr. Zach. Bush. Always such a pleasure. Honored to have you. You can listen to our other episodes with Dr. Bush by searching Dr. Zach Bush, almost 30. And thank you again for subscribing, rating, and reviewing our show. Thank you for being a part of the community. We just love you all so much. We appreciate you trusting us and supporting you in your evolution. And thank you to our sponsors for today. All discount information is in our show notes as well as on almost30.com. We'll see you soon. Bye. Bye.